Here at the Moody Church, we believe that the Bible is the verbally, supernaturally inspired Word of God. Without error in its original writings, the complete revelation of God, His plan of salvation, and ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavors should be judged. In fact, in the InFocus community, we have been studying why we can have confidence in God's Word, and one of the foundations that we've established is in Scripture itself, where it teaches us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is a supernatural book. Consider it has over 40 human writers over a span of 1,600 years yielding these 66 canonized books, yet the Bible has one doctrinal viewpoint. It has one moral standard. It has one plan of salvation, and it has one world view, and it is cogent and relevant in every generation. When we have the sacred privilege to open God's word, we are hearing, in fact, from God himself. This is not pithy stories and clever sayings. The Bible is based upon facts, beloved, and it is God's inspired word to us. And so it is with confidence in God when we open his word. I want to encourage you this morning Spend time in God's Word. Make the time for God's Word. Take the time for God's Word for daily Bible reading. If you would, please, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. I believe that's page 528. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning in the seat back in front of you, you will find one. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're considering daily devotions, may I suggest to you and recommend to you highly the book of Proverbs? There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, so you could simply read a different chapter each day corresponding to that date. For example, today is December 30th. So you would simply read the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs. And within a short period of time, you would have worked through the entire book. You can certainly read the chapters over and over again. And if you were to miss a day or miss a week, it's easy. Whatever day it is, you simply go to that chapter. Most of the Proverbs are attributed to King Solomon, and the essence of the book of Proverbs is the teaching of moral and ethical standards. There are two very unique features of this book. One of those features is that it teaches by contrast. In chapters 10 through 15, for example, almost every single verse is divided by the word but. You find in 10.1, for example, a wise son maketh a glad father, but 
A foolish son is heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the souls of righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. Very unique using contrast. We see the contrast of good and evil throughout the book. The word wisdom appears over 39 times in the book of Proverbs. And in fact, Proverbs 1 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, very unique feature because as it talks about wisdom, it oftentimes personifies wisdom as a woman. Now, I believe this is unique to the book of Proverbs. For example, in Proverbs 7, 4, it says, Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. Hmm. Wisdom in Hebrew is a feminine noun. So the contrast portrayed oftentimes in this book by the virtuous woman equal wisdom and the strange woman equal sin, we see that that contrast is both artistic and well studied. Now ladies, if you would please, stop elbowing the gentleman next to you. <laughs> Did you hear what the pastor said? Women are wise, that's not quite what I said. What I said was, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. It's a book about wisdom. A wise person will receive wisdom from the Lord and will choose against the ways of the wicked, against involvement in idolatry and adultery, will choose goodness and righteousness, will choose love and faithfulness, Wisdom counsels us to be disciplined in our giving to God, and wisdom invites us to choose to be charitable to the needy. Stated another way, the book of Proverbs teaches us how to navigate the culture without compromising, how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. In the passage that we have the privilege of perusing today, we are provided with three steps to enable us to live skillfully, three steps to enable us to be wise, three steps, if you please, to live a godly life in an ungodly world. This, beloved, is no easy assignment. But we have today a word from heaven. Won't you read with me Proverbs 3, starting at verse 5, and let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall make your paths straight. And amen. The contrast here is between divine wisdom and human wisdom. Here we're told quite simply, trust in the Lord. 
The truth and the command is that we are to abandon every attempt to obtain blessedness by one's own strength and by one's own wisdom. I want you to look again carefully at the text and you'll notice the word Lord. Take a look, do you see it? Notice that it is all capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In scripture, there are several different words that are used to define the attributes of God. Lord, Adonai, Elohim. What we see in this passage becomes part of what scholars know as the tetragrammaton. And that is the four consonants that are used to describe God. See, the Hebrews believe that the name for God was so holy, was to be so revered that you should not even pronounce it. And so only those four consonants were used. And from those consonants, we get the word Yahweh, the word Jehovah. And that is what is here. When it says, trust in the Lord, it is saying, trust in Jehovah. Trust Jehovah as the God of nature and providence of all temporal blessings. Trust Jehovah, the God of all grace. Trust Jehovah for all the spiritual blessings and all the needful supply of grace and for eternal happiness. We trust Jehovah. Notice it puts no limitation on this. We're to trust Jehovah at all times. When things are going well, and in times of affliction, in times of temptation, in times of darkness, and there's a good reason for that. All power and strength are in him to help. His love and his grace and his mercy move him to do it and are always the same. If we're gonna be honest this morning, we tend to doubt God when we experience hardship. Does he still love me? Does he care? I feel alone and abandoned. We rationalize. I want you to be encouraged this morning. There is redemptive value in unearned suffering. It's the vicissitudes, the hardships, those disruptive moments where the attributes of God become personal to us. I was talking to Pastor Butler and he told me, he says that disappointment is the back door to God's will. I have to think about that a little longer, but I understand it. It is when we are suffering, it's when we have those disappointments that God reveals himself. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Raphne, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom. How do you know him to be your banner, unless and until you're experiencing where people are taking you for granted, where they in fact are besmirching your good name, where they have taken your work and taken credit for it, where they've told outright lies about you and God becomes your banner, he becomes your rock, he becomes your fortress, that attribute becomes real for you. No, I don't think you hear me this morning. When you are without your resources, when the job is gone and the money is exhausted and the friends have abandoned you and family members offer only criticism and critique of the decisions that you've made in life and you have nowhere to turn and God supernaturally provides for you, you now know him as 
is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. No, you don't hear me this morning. Chicago is beset every day with issues of domestic violence in and out of the homes. The place that should be a spiritual oasis for families is filled with discord and chaos and confusion. But God supernaturally transforms hearts and he brings peace where there was nothing but discord. And they know him now as Jehovah Shalom. We're invited here to trust God. He says he never promised us that our life would be easy. He never promised us that we would not have times of discomfort. But what he did promise, he'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. And that he would provide grace sufficient to deal with whatever it is that we had to face. The passage says, trust Jehovah. Why? Because he is trustworthy. God has kept every promise he's ever made, beloved. And he's never made a promise he hasn't been able to keep. God is tireless. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is tried and true. He is faithful. And he's faithful even when we are not faithful. He is timeless. And you simply cannot walk into this sanctuary and not be reminded of that fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not out of step. He is not old-fashioned. He is not irrelevant. He is timeless. We trust God because he is tenacious and he's tough. And oftentimes we don't talk about how tough God is. How tough is he? He's tough enough to put Satan in his place. He's tough enough to conquer every manner of illness and disease. He's tough enough to tell the demons to flee. He's tough enough to conquer the grave. Is that tough enough for you? God is tactical and timely. He's always on time. It's in situations where it may seem that it's expedient to make a different choice that the wise person will continue to trust God. We're invited in the passage to trust Jehovah with all our hearts in all our ways. The Hebrew word here, the symbolism here is not so much about emotions as it is the intellect and will. And what he is saying with all our heart is to commit yourself to God. Do not seek to live independent of him. Scripture tells us that whatever we do, we can do for the glory of God. Now, there's tremendous freedom in that word, whatever. You don't have to go to seminary to serve God. Thank God for seminary and thank God for those who go. But you can serve God as an accountant. You can bring God glory as an HR manager. You can bring God glory as a recording artist, as a nurse, as a CEO of an international corporation. Certainly you can bring God glory and serve him as a school teacher 
and I might just want to take my foot off the gas for a minute and say thank God for school teachers. You see, if they don't learn their ABCs, if they don't learn C, spot, run, they'll never learn how to read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We thank God for school teachers. Municipal employee, bus driver, students, acknowledge him in all your ways. You don't have to wait until you graduate in order to acknowledge God. You can do it right where you are and where you've been placed. First step, trust God. Second step, lean not on your own understanding. Jeremiah 17 puts it this way. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its shoots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain open and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Both Proverbs and Jeremiah offer these very stern warnings regarding carnal confidence. Now there are those, and probably here this morning, who would say, look, I have what I have through my own effort. No one gave me anything. I have not been the beneficiary of any largesse from anybody, but it has been through my own endeavors, my own hard work, my own will, that I have picked myself up by my bootstraps and have achieved what I have achieved. Okay, let me ask you a question. Where'd you get the boots? <laughs> let, me, let me restate it. Where'd you get the straps on the boots? Strike that. Where'd you get the hands to grab the straps? that were on the boots? Where'd the air come that you were breathing that allowed you to have the energy to encourage it? Don't be fooled, beloved. All good things from, from God, and it is only because of his grace that you have anything that you have. Lean not, he says, on your own understanding. The truth, beloved, is that if we trust in the Lord, we cannot also depend upon our own ability to understand everything that God does. When we trust God, we don't need to understand. We don't need every answer explained. Now, most of us have a desperate need to understand because if we can understand it, we think we can control it. But in so many areas, we simply have to acknowledge that we don't understand. We simply must approve of God's ways even when we don't comprehend them. That's why Isaiah 55 tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways 
your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The truth, beloved, in God's sovereignty, there isn't anything that happens that does not have to go through the permissive will of God. Now, this is hard theology, particularly when we're facing situations that are uncomfortable. But know this, before you were even created, God knew that it was going to happen. Before you came into existence, God understood that it was going to happen. Not only did he understand it, but he allowed it and permitted it. Now, if that's true, and it is, then that also means that he has to have a plan. God sees the whole picture while we only see just a tiny corner of it. Lean not on your own understanding. That simply means we can't put our desire above his right to direct our lives as he sees fit. When we insist on God always making sense to our finite minds, we are setting ourselves up for some spiritual trouble. Lean not on your own understanding. This is difficult today, because today we are bombarded with data. Have you noticed that so much of this data that we're bombarded with is really not designed to inform so much as it is designed to influence how you think? Almost every news show has a panel, and the panel is on there and they say things like, well, I think, and I believe, and here's how I see things. We're bombarded with data that's designed really to influence you. Now, I'm not against technology. To the contrary, I believe we can and we should consecrate the technology. We can use cell phones and the internet for the glory of God, just like television and radio. We can use them to help spread the good news of the gospel. We can consecrate the technology. My youngest son is a senior in college at a school in Amherst, Massachusetts. And sometimes when I'm up late on Saturday night studying or reading or praying, I will grab my cell phone and I will send him a text message to encourage you. And oftentimes that message will simply say, God is watching you. <laughs> I don't know why, why you're laughing. Every college student would love to receive a note at one o'clock on a Saturday morning reminding them that God is watching them. Amen? Oh, okay, you're not convinced. My point is simply this. Your source of guidance, beloved, is God, not Google. Your computer server is not your savior. We are to lean not on our own understanding. Three, acknowledge him in all your ways. Hmm. What does that mean? What does that look like if you were to acknowledge God? Do you own him? Do you rely upon his power and his goodness? Are you anticipating that he will make provision? 
Are you looking to his sovereignty in all things in the way that you manage your affairs? Are you a good steward over all that the Lord has provided for you and even acknowledging that it's the Lord that has provided for you? How do you acknowledge him? If I were to call your cell phone, would the message, the voice message that's on there, would it tell anybody that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? If I were to drive past your home, is there anything on your home that says that this is a home where, Christ, where Christians live, where people who have committed themselves to God, this is where they are? Is there anything in your car what about on your desk at work? If somebody were to compliment you on, oh girl, that sure is a nice outfit you're wearing today. Do you take all those compliments? Yeah, it is, isn't it? I really put this together, didn't I? This is really nice. Or do you say, well, praise God. The Lord blessed me with this. Do you acknowledge him in all your ways? When compliments come your way, when blessings come your way, do you acknowledge him? And this is what we were invited to do. The passage then has this promise. He will make your path straight. Now we know that that's not a promise that you won't have problems. That simply is not biblical. You can be firmly in the will of God and still have discomfort. The apostle Paul, was doing exactly what God would have him to do. Yet, he was humiliated, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail, he was lied on, he was stoned and drug out of a city and left for dead, he was shipwrecked. None of that because he wasn't in God's will. So the passage here cannot be talking so much about you're not going to have problems, nor do I think it is referring to guidance so much as it is talking about enablement. God will supply grace sufficient in our time of need, whatever the need. He has an inexhaustible supply of grace. The Lord has blessed the Moody Church. Dr. Lutzer is a once-in-a-generation manager of God's Word, and for almost four decades, he faithfully preached the Word of God from this pulpit. We have a staff of godly men. Dr. Birchie is an unselfish servant, and he's generous. Pastor Best is athletic, he has the spontaneity of an athlete, but the discipline of a scholar. Pastor Gunter has a burden for families. Mason is a faithful manager of the word. Pastor Butler uses his gifts and his talents and his abilities, not for his own fame or glory, but to always proclaim the glory of God. Stafford is committed to bringing reverence into the sanctuary and having meaningful worship experiences. And Pastor Baker, who has joined us as a devoted father and husband, Peary is enthusiastic about evangelism and Reyes. What a legacy of service to God and Taj. I call him Mach 2 Taj. He goes in Mach 2 with his hair on fire. He is creative and devoted to his family. The Lord has given us great pulpit supply with Kevin Harney and with Dr. Stetzer, but don't be deceived, beloved. Dr. Lutzer is not going to save you. 
Don't be deceived, beloved. Pastor Virgie cannot save you. Yes, these pastors suit up every day and they stand in the gap and they pray and they provide perspective, but they can't lean on God for you. They can't trust God for you. You've got to trust God for yourself. And perhaps, beloved, perhaps that we go through this season now without a senior shepherd so that God can remind us today that we don't place our hope and our trust in the position of pastor, but we place it in the person of Jesus. Trust God. Rely on his sovereignty. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all that you do, and he will give us the enabling that we need. Our problems in life push us off of that, make us doubt, take us off of that straight path of obedience, if you please. In order to appropriate this promise, you have to have faith in God. You have to trust God. You have to keep your feet firmly planted on the faith freeway. You see, if you allow yourself to take a detour onto Doubt Drive, if you park over on Pity Parkway, if you angle over to Anger Avenue, if you scamper over to Scared Street, if you flee to the Fear Freeway, you can't enable the working of the Holy Spirit. You have to maintain your faith in God. And in order to have this kind of faith, you have to have the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're saved, and beloved, you can't be saved without Jesus. You can trust God. You can trust God in your daily affairs. You can trust God's word to help you in dealing with your neighbor, with the government, with your employment. You can trust God, but more than that, beloved, you can trust God with your life, with your eternal soul, and with your eternal destiny. The question becomes, have you trusted him? Have you come to a point in your life where you say, I don't want to live independent of God anymore? I'm not even sure how it is that I believe, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I want to trust him now with everything that I have and all that I am. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of response, and I want to invite you to examine your hearts this morning. Have you trusted God? I believe he brought you here this morning so that you would be encouraged. We live in a time and in a place where we have access to God's word and we thank him. You can go get a Bible. There are places in the world where you can't even display this sacred book. But here today, at this time today, in this place today, we can open God's word and be fed from his word. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, I've said what you would have me to say. 
Take the little that I have and you multiply it now that it may accomplish your purpose. I ask, Father, that you do what only you can do. Encourage, equip, anoint, convict, call, heal, save. Give them the courage now to be obedient to trust you, to repent from their sins and to accept you as Lord and Savior. We'll always be quick to give you the credit, to give you the honor, to give you the glory. Now we do pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and King, and amen.